It's been a long year since we shared the last episode of Marquette in Milwaukee, and we've been busier than ever. We are back today to hear about the service and research from Marquette that has helped our community during the COVID-19 pandemic. The work on campus continues and has far-reaching impact, whether that's providing essential pro bono legal services when people really need it, or helping senior citizens in the community get vaccinated. It's important to mention that we are in the studio and everyone here today is fully vaccinated. We've been pausing the podcast until it was safe for us to gather again, and we are thrilled to be back together and in your podcast feed. I'm Lauren Burke, and this is Marquette in Milwaukee with President Mike Lovell. Welcome back. Welcome back, everybody, to our podcast. It is uh, very exciting to see more than just the top half of people's faces. Um, we like to start this by going around and just introducing yourself. Say your name and and what you do. Dr. Lovell? Mike Lovell, President of Marquette University. Linda Connor. I'm a staff nurse at the medical clinic and also head of the vaccination program there. Mike Heischer. I'm a PhD student in exercise and rehabilitation science, and I'm also the research lab manager at the Athletic and Human Performance Research Center. I'm Ryan Anselman, and I'm just a junior at Marquette. Nothing <laughs> <laughs> <think> just. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm Angela Schultz. I'm the assistant dean for public service at Marquette Law School. I'm Kurt Gehring. I teach in the College of Business at Marquette. Perfect. Well, it has certainly been a year. And Dr. Lovell, I want to start right with you and, and talk about, you know, the monumental undertaking that has been this last year, starting with going virtual with the students. And now we're filtering everybody back in. Um, you know, what tell me a little bit about this and what stands out to you as some of, you know, the strongest things that have happened within the community? Yeah. You know, when I think about what we've overcome the last 13 months, it's just been incredible. And when I think about how much uncertainty we had when this all started and how it has evolved, uh, what strikes me about what's been the best part of our community is our continued focus on our students. Sure. And, you know, it's been really, really challenging, you know, for our students to have to navigate and go through this, to take them out of community, to introduce them to a new set of uh, pedagogy for learning and having them going in and out of quarantine and all the challenges they face, not only from their mental health, but, you know, physical health to helping them advance in the schoolwork. You know, I just see here over and over again from our students as I've, as I've been meeting with them in, uh, in office hours and, you know, I'm teaching my class myself right now. And what I hear from them is that what they're going to remember of this is that how the faculty invested and staff invested in them and helped them get through what was the most difficult period that they've encountered so far in their life. And so I'm very, very proud of the fact that our faculty and staff have supported our students in new and different ways, and but they've they've also been found ways to be flexible, you know, and, and because there's no way you can be, have a rigid environment in with what we've gone through and, and how our students progress the way they normally would have. And so uh, even on the way over here, I was talking to Tim Sigelski, who's a faculty member in Calm, just saying, you know, you know students 1130 at night will say, hey, I need to FaceTime you right now because <laughs> I'm in, in 
Tim says you just you have to do it. Yeah. Find ways. Yeah, exactly. Well, and and I think you know the support between professor and students, but there's also been um, so many interesting projects that have happened from the students and initiated by students and professors. So Kurt and Ryan, um, I thought it was interesting. The two of you said this is the first time you've seen each other's actual faces <laughs> in person. Um, tell us about the project you guys um, initiated during COVID. It's it's a heartwarming story and one of my favorite to come out of the pandemic. Yeah, so um, I teach a class in in information systems, and for the past several years, there's been a very popular exercise uh, where I ask students to surrender their cell phones for several days. Uh, the idea is I want them to experience what it's like uh, to be someone who is a part of the digital divide, or that 10% of, Amer- of U.S. adults who don't have access to internet and technology. And I started thinking in the middle of the pandemic how I might approach that this year. Um, And one of the things that came to me is a part of the digital divide are our senior citizens. Uh, Over 30 percent of them, people over 65, do not have access to the Internet. And... As vaccines became available, it was quite obvious that they were going to be left out because the only way for them to sign up for a vaccination was doing it online. There were very little resources for them. The other thing that intersected with that is the sense of isolation most of our – many of our seniors feel. Um, the Sanford, Sanford Center for Longevity reports that one in four seniors report being socially isolated. So in other words, they had no one to help them with these vaccines. And I pondered this around in my head and tried to figure out a way where we could impact senior citizens who don't have access to a vaccine. And I tossed around a few ideas, and finally, I just brought it to my class. And I showed them some of these statistics. I showed some of the seniors who were struggling to find vaccinations, and I threw it back to them and said, how could we impact our community? Instead of surrendering your cell phones, how could we use them to help others, to book vaccination appointments? And I think it was a day or two later when I got this remarkable email from Ryan Anselman. <laughs> yeah, I was very excited about this project that he kind of brought up in our class. And I texted my grandparents. I was like, do you know anywhere around? Was they live in Wauwatosa in Germantown. Mm-hmm. And I asked them if they know any places around those areas that need help with vaccines, whether that's like churches, retirement homes, things like that. And one of my grandparents didn't get back to me, but the other one, she texted me and was like, I know the Hart Park Civic Center. And she gave me the email of the director there. And I emailed the director and asked, hey, my professor brought this really important project that's really important to me. And asked them if, we could, if there's any help they need with the vaccine bookings with their uh, residents that live there. And he got back to me and I included Professor Gearn in the email. And that's just where it started. We've been helping how many Seniors, have we gotten vaccinated? I've, I've, I've lost count. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I think the nice thing is that since Easter, that has really started to trail off. Mm-hmm. Um, I think what we also did 
perhaps unknowingly, is really raised awareness of how many people aren't able to book vaccines online. And so you see a lot of walk-in clinics now. You see a lot of uh, clinics who um, have dial-in information. And in fact, the the senior center Mm -hmm. where this all started uh, had an open house vaccination day a couple weeks ago. So it's awesome. it's been nice to see the impact. Yeah. The point of this project was to teach about technology mm-hmm. and the you know students like yourself with so much access to it. What what did you learn from this? What was surprising to you? Just how important technology is and we talked about the digital divide and I really have, haven't been knowledgeable of that before coming to this class. I mean, it's always been around, but I just never really knew about it, but um that it is really a real thing and people my age can easily help people like overcome that divide. And I've learned that we've helped so many uh, senior citizens sign up for vaccines as they just don't know how to do it. And with our knowledge that we have with technology, I feel like we can have a really big change, especially right now and going on in the future. Yeah, that's great. Well, more research that has come out of Marquette. Mike, you um, have been leading the charge and trying to figure out a little bit about how to mitigate the spread. Tell us about your research and project and how that came about and what you've learned. Yeah, so um, last October, we published a study on mask wearing and walking in the surrounding counties. Um, And so from data we collected in the summer, we had some really interesting differences in behavior based on demographic groups. Um, We showed that people in suburban and urban areas were about four times more likely to wear a mask than in rural areas. Um, Women were more likely to wear a mask than men, which aligns with research we've seen in previous epidemics. Um, and also older individuals are more likely to, likely to wear a mask uh, than middle-aged or younger individuals. Um, another small piece of this study was demonstrating the effectiveness of mask mandates um, in terms of getting mask resistors to wear a mask. Um, we know that COVID is in the air and that wearing a mask helps to prevent the spread of COVID-19. Um, and so by demonstrating the efficacy of the mandate, we provided public health officials with some research evidence that they can refer to when advocating for these type of measures. Um, we also have a study going on now that's looking at uh, people that have had COVID um, and some long-term effects on them. Um, we haven't moved very far into data analysis yet, but I can tell you that we're seeing participants even months after they've been sick that are dealing with issues with widespread pain, fatigue, and even issues with with taste and smell. Um, So it's clear now that post-acute COVID-19 is going to be a public health issue that we're going to be dealing with for years and maybe even decades to come. And so this study is one of the first to look at these long-term effects. And so being on the cutting edge of the science really positions Marquette to be one of the leaders in this topic areas, you know, impacting change and optimizing care for these patients all over the world. Um, the COVID-19 research initiative, which I'm a part of, has been a um, really great resource for feedback on this project. And we've been able to present our ideas, um, discuss with other Marquette researchers. And speaking to those benefits, we've actually added some new pieces to the project through new collaborations um, and have also secured some small grant funding to support our projects over the summer. Wow. Yeah. I mean, hearing that really drives home the importance of vaccination, right? So, Linda, you've been leading that charge at Marquette. and. Mm-hmm. Tell us about this. I mean, nothing prepares you for something like this, right? How did you, how have you been working through this? As with any vaccine, mass or mass vaccinations, uh, it, it involves so many things. It involves really assessing the population that we're, is going to be vaccinated, um, the size of the population. Um, who is going to give the vaccine? Are we going to have nursing enough nursing students? Are we going to have enough nursing faculty? And also the facility. 
we needed to uh, deliver this vaccine, which was also a challenge in this. The COVID-19 vaccine had a lot of challenges that we that differs from the flu um, uh, clinics in the sense that we have to look at refrigerator and freezer needs. We have to look at security. We have to have a plan. If we did not use all of the vaccine, what were we going to do with the leftovers? So in effort to coordinate all this, the medical clinic really had to keep almost in in such frequent contact with the CDC, with the state, with the local health departments. And we were really strict to adhere to all of the CDC age and population guidelines. I guess adaptation was just constant. Yeah, and it it bears repeating how important getting it is. What would be your pitch to people who have not gotten their vaccine yet, and they should? Why? Sh- and specifically because you know Marquette students are in downtown Milwaukee. It's it's a city environment. So why should they get it? I, I guess let me start this way. Why is it important for all of us, but especially college age students, to get the flu vaccine, MMRs, um, get vaccinated for? for uh, varicella, meningitis. The obvious answer we all know is that without vaccinations, we are just more susceptible to get those diseases and to also pass those diseases to other people. Our students don't live in a bubble. And I'm, I'm really passionate about this. So I, I guess I'm getting kind of serious. As members of the Marquette community, as members of the Milwaukee community, we at Marquette we owe it to this community, to the Milwaukee community, and everyone that lives in that community, our consideration to get vaccinated, not only vaccinated, but to go ahead and educate and promote vaccination to those that remain skeptical. Community engagement, to me, is a proven strategy to maximize participation. And we at Marquette have the opportunity and the responsibility, I feel, to really be the difference. And, um, and, and that is for the health of the entire um, Milwaukee community, not only ourselves. Mm-hmm. So say it again. If you're a student listening to this right now, you have not received your vaccine, you should get one. Get one. Uh, you can go ahead and call your family physician. You can go on our website, make an appointment for next week. Most importantly, if you can't get in any one of those, Go to Vaccine Finder. Mm -hmm. Just Google Vaccine Finder, put in your zip code, and it will list all of the areas within that zip code that you can get vaccinated, which ones are open, what their times are. It's very, very easy to do. And I would also add that if you know of a senior who's having trouble uh, finding an appointment or booking it online, uh, reach out to the Hart Park Senior Center and they will direct you towards uh, my class and my students and we'll get you set up with something. Great. So we've been talking a lot about health related to COVID-19, but the world did not stop spinning in this last year. And there's been other services that have been needed, including legal services. Um, Angela is a leader in um, you know, pro bono work and helping out the community as it relates to legal services. What how how have you been doing it? How have you been maintaining, um, you know, the access to this um, that people need? And also, what are some of those issues that you were seeing come up in this last year? Yeah, thanks for asking. So we did have to make a significant shift when the pandemic hit, because prior to March 13th of 2020, we um, served the community through the Marquette Volunteer Legal Clinics by meeting with people one-on-one, 
face-to-face in a variety of community-based locations. So we were at the House of Peace. We were at the United Community Center. We were at the Veterans Service Office in West Dallas. We were at the courthouse right here downtown. And we had a mobile legal clinic that went out to a variety of places around the city to, to sit down with people close by there, <laughs> close, you know, in close proximity to people. <laughs> right. um, and the basic model is a lawyer and a volunteer law student will mm-hmm. pair up to work to solve a legal issue that someone is bringing to the clinic that day. Well, that entire model needed to be reconceived when, when the pandemic hit. Sure. So it took us a couple weeks, but by the end of April of 2020, we had moved everything to an online model. Um, and we just started op- um, offering services on Zoom um, but also giving people the option, of course, to be able to call on the phone. Mm-hmm. And it occurred to us, like you were talking about earlier, what is this going to mean in terms of people who are now excluded from accessing the service because of the technological divide? Right. What will that mean? How will we reach those people? Um, but at least for myself, as kind of an eternal optimist, I also couldn't help but feel like this might also open the door to having a larger slice of people be able to visit with us who maybe couldn't visit with us pre-pandemic when we were only in that in-person setting. Um, So, you know, pros and cons. I think, Mm -hmm. like, the door in some ways is wider open because it allows people to um, sit down with a lawyer and a law student in this virtual setting without having to do things like set up childcare or find transportation down to one of these sites. Or if you're limited by physical mobility issues to not have to get your body out of your house and into one of these sites, but just to be able to do that over the phone um, or over Zoom. So it's, it's worked well. Um, and some of the legal issues we're seeing, of course, we're seeing everything that existed before the pandemic hit. So people, you know, navigating just a whole range of civil issues. And I should specify that our clinics really operate only in assisting people with civil legal issues. Mm-hmm. We all know, you know, the, the phraseology of um, if you can't afford a lawyer, one will be appointed to you. But that is not the case in the civil arena. So if somebody's now, you know, needing to find for themselves a domestic violence injunction order, they're not going to have a lawyer appointed for that civil process. Or if they're facing a foreclosure, or if they're looking for unemployment insurance, or if they're, you know, facing a social security um, denial and they th- that's something they want to appeal. Or I mean, the list can, goes on and on. A probate, an adult guardianship. Um, et cetera. There's no lawyers appointed there. And that's when people are coming to us. If they can't afford to hire a lawyer, we're one of the options to offer some free support in those arenas. Then with the pandemic coming into play, there were a whole new range of legal issues people were facing. Um, One of the ones we all hear a lot about is the eviction moratorium. Mm -hmm. You know, so what does it mean for maybe a mom and pop landlord who are owning a property? Now they have a tenant who's not paying rent those folks are wondering, well, what does that mean? Can I not evict this person? How is that going to impact me? And then, of course, tenants are thinking about, what does this mean? Can I be evicted? Maybe I've been served eviction papers, but how do I protect myself against that? Is that going to be on my record? What is the impact of that? What are, what are my defenses to that? Um, so that's one of the biggest changes that we've seen in the clinic is really people navigating this new web of, of evictions. Yeah. 
So it's it's interesting to hear everybody talk about you know gaps in in access to things, and we've all had to sort of like pivot and figure out how to get creative in what we're doing and adjusting to a new normal. And I think there's a lot of positive that's come out of that. And I, I this question is open to everybody, but Dr. Lovell, I'd like to start with you. And if you could talk about you know the big lessons learned um, in this past year, you know what what went well. Um, and, you know, and how can we use what we've learned to move forward and, and make education better? Yeah. So, you know, the thing that strikes me, what we did really, really well is, you know, in nine days, we went from being in a traditional in-person environment to fully online. And if you would have asked any of us if that would have been possible before the pandemic, all of us have said, there's no way. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. Yeah. That's just craziness, right? Yeah. Well, so we showed that we could be resilient and we could do something, you know, that, you know, un- unfortunately was under the circumstances that weren't o- optimal, but, and we've learned from that. And so as I think about what Marquette looks like going forward, mm-hmm. there's a lot of great things we can take away, not just about the actual things we learned about doing that, you know, going to online and then hybrid in the fall, but but also the fact that, hey, we can be nimble and we can adjust on the fly because we also know that we're facing a, an uncertain landscape in higher ed today. It's it's changing all around us. And now we know we can adapt to those changes. We've learned how to adapt. And I think that's a really, really important quality. Mm-hmm. And I want to bring this now to Kurt and Ryan, maybe, um, you know, in that classroom experience, the professor-student relationship, maybe can you talk a little bit about, you know, how, how that's changed and, and how you've made it work? Especially with Professor Gearn, you can reach him anytime, um, easily on Microsoft Teams, whenever you want. I've learned a lot from them is like they really, professors do really care about their students. And they'll really put anything, like they'll take time out like a Saturday to talk to you about anything. You know, with any challenge comes opportunity. And sometimes you have to look really hard for where those opportunities <laughs> sure. are. And certainly we had to in the pandemic. But, uh, yeah, it was how would you go about teaching a semester without that uh, connection that you would normally have with students? Um, it's college is such a relationship communal experience. How do you go about fostering that classroom community? And so, you know, there were opportunities. We did things like our, our happy hours where we would just have students um, jump onto a Teams call and we'd all talk about anything but the class. Uh, we did that every two or three weeks. There were a number of students who couldn't go home for Easter. So, uh, I made a bunch of Easter dinners, delivered them, and uh, we had a virtual Easter dinner with students. Um, I, I think what my takeaway was that in addition to that, you also had to balance rigor with compassion. It wasn't a usual semester, and there were a lot of mental health challenges, and those needed to be taken into account. And uh, on the other side, as far as the digital divide, to expand upon your thought, I think it opened a broader conversation between technology and senior citizens. And so we have now established a relationship with the Hart Park Senior Center, where in the fall semester, students in my class are will be going and teaching seniors uh, things like Facebook or how to send an email or how to have a social media account. So it's really been positive in that manner as well. And it's largely due to students like you, Ryan. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> 
Mike, what about you? Any any pros that have come out in the research arena about the last year? Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, nothing will ever replace an in-person interaction that you can have with someone. But I think the ease at which we can interact and engage with each other in the virtual setting can really be leveraged to our benefit. Mm-hmm. Um, going back to the COVID-19 research initiative again, one of the things that we've talked about um, is just, you know, carrying that sense of community that we were able to develop virtually forward. You know, like everyone's kind of been mentioning, it may be difficult to get across campus, you know, to see a colleague speak. Um, But if we can host this online and open it up to everybody, then, you know, you can take your lunch hour and engage um, and, you know, present your ideas. um, And we can just, I think, build a a greater sense of community at Marquette that way and, and develop further collaborations as well. Yeah, perfect. Linda, anything to add to that, pros that have come out of I think one of the big pros is just recognizing what an incredible group of students that we have at Marquette. Um, The students that I have worked with in the um, vaccination clinics, both flu and the COVID uh, clinics, have been tremendous. They have been enthusiastic. They've been knowledgeable. They have... um, really exuded that enthusiasm to their their clients that they were vaccinating and how appreciative the people that were getting vaccinated are that we had these clinics. It, it, it just was just a good all-around feeling. Um, the amount of students that wanted to be involved in the vaccination clinic and we couldn't even accommodate them, mm-hmm. uh, I always felt bad about because, like I've told them, they are part of history. Their kids and their grandkids are going to be looking at pictures of this time, and they're yeah. they're going to be the ones that participated in it. Like I said, I, I think just how proud I am of the students that I have worked with. I mean, it's been an incredible experience. Yeah, that's powerful. Angela, what about you? I think a lot about how this may have been a narrowing of the rural-urban divide in Mm, Wisconsin. And we see it in the legal clinic in the sense that, you know, I talked about all of our clinics being these physical locations that we ask people to come to. But if you're up in Rhinelander, you know, or if you're anywhere in the state that's not a simple drive into downtown Milwaukee, that meant that our legal clinics, at least, weren't easily accessible. And there may be legal clinics available in other parts of the state, but not in every part of the state. Mm -hmm. Um, The question of technology, of course, comes into play because can you hop online to join one of our clinics or can you hop on the phone to join one of our clinics? In the old world, that wasn't even an option. Now it's an option. And we do see that our client base is more geographically diverse now than it was pre-pandemic, in particular with one clinic we started that's a small business assistance clinic. And the first 10 visits we had in that clinic, this launched in May, and the first 10 visits we had when I looked back at them, and we were only seeing two people a week in this small legal clinic, were from 10 different communities around Wisconsin. And only two were kind of Milwaukee area. But the other 10 were really geographically diverse. And I thought, this is such a great silver lining of Mm -hmm. this pandemic, that there is now the ability for people who maybe couldn't have access to the city center, where there's so often more services available, are now more readily available because of the online component to things. Yeah. 
Well, I like to end these conversations with something a little lighter and a little fun. So uh, we're moving back into normalcy, thank goodness. And um, I just saw, uh, you know, yesterday that State Fair is going to be happening this year. So I want to ask everybody, what have you missed? What is the thing you're most excited to get back to in Milwaukee, in the the community um, that you haven't been able to do in the last year? I think going to concerts. I loved. I usually loved going to Summerfest um, and just listening to the the bands there. I think that's going to be exciting just to go to State Fair. Yeah. And and listen to some music. Yeah, mm-hmm. totally. Anybody else? I'm excited to go back to Milwaukee Brewers games. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I, me and my roommate freshman year, we would go when they're when they're really good. That one year, we would go every day basically. And last year we didn't have the opportunity, so I think we're going next week actually to our first game. Oh, and fun. we're really excited. Yeah, I'm, I've been a Brewers fan my whole life. So. <laughs> awesome. yeah. Did you see that game last night? Yeah, <laughs> oh, that was awesome. Yeah, my my friends were at that game actually. Last <laughs> night. That was really fun. Yeah, there yeah. was a lot of students there. Actually. Yeah, yeah. Uh, how about um, just going into a restaurant and yeah. having dinner inside? Yeah, yeah. I mean, hopefully with a little luck next week I'll be able to do that. But uh, that's been something I've missed. And um, I think, you know, one of my favorite things academically after teaching a class was just to, in Strauss, go down to the student lounge, you know, mm-hmm. check email, sit with the students, yeah. talk, communicate. You don't get to do that anymore. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's the biggest thing for me is getting – I'll never f- take for granted being in community with one another. And I think about all the things that – the connection points that I get to have with people in the campus community that I've not had access to. You know, I, I, on a typical year, I'll, I'll have, I go to about 240 events, and I didn't wow. had, and no, didn't have any events this year. So <laughs> what? A, so that was a void. And even things like I think about going to Pfizer Forum for the basketball games, yeah. being able to go to Mass at Joan of Arc yeah. at 10 o'clock on Tuesday yeah. nights, yes. uh, hosting lunches that I have with students in, in, in faculty, dinners that I host on the fifth floor of the union, all of those things, you know, is – it is that that community that you know was was lost in many ways, and it's just not to me. It is I think Mike said it, it's just not the same in the virtual world. It, you lose you lose things. So I'm just really excited. I'm looking forward to the fall because I want to get back to all the things we love, like homecoming, home, yes, yeah, <laughs> bed races, bed races, yeah, things like that. Yeah. Yeah, to quickly follow up on that, I think the first year the AHPRC was open, we did over a hundred tours, and we always had you know, alumni and prospective students and their families coming through. And it was fun to talk about them, talk to them about the the research that we were doing in the new facility. And this past year, we weren't able to do any of that. And so, yeah, like you were saying, Dr. Lovell, just being able to engage, um, you know, with members of the Marquette community and the, the Milwaukee community is going to be really great. Yeah. Yeah, at the law school, we have Mike Goucher does these weekly oh, on yeah. the issues events. Yeah. So every week, we would see people coming in to the law school from all over the city just to hear these conversations. And they're still happening. They're happening online. But it's really different than watching people walk into the building, joining in on these events, sitting in a room full of people, asking questions, just seeing who's coming, who's going. And you can't do that in the same way when you're gathering online. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We're getting there, you guys. We're getting there. <laughs> we so. are. But I want to thank all of you so much for all the work you've all done um, in this past year through the pandemic. Um, can't thank you all enough for your work at Marquette and in the community. So bravo to all of you. And thank you also for being a part of this discussion today. It was nice to see all your faces. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you.